0: Welcome to Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam, where I, Dietitian Faraz, and you, an awesome person, join forces to chomp down dietetic concepts into digestible bites, and provide you with practice questions, rationales, and tips to conquer your dietetic exam, and you will conquer it, because you are smart, you are skilled, and you got this. Hit it! (music) Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're all staying safe and staying positive. So, I got a lot of positive feedback from y'all on Instagram that you like the format of the previous episode, so thank you for that. That sets the direction for what our episode will be today which is, again, going to consist of me addressing topics that listeners requested, and I'll be addressing them in the order that I received a request. And if you would like to make a request, find the show on Instagram, at rdexampodcast, and that's where I also create and post free practice questions. So before going into today's topics, I got some really, really exciting news I got to share with you. So over the years, I've had a lot of podcast listeners and students ask me to develop a program that covers everything you need to know about the RD exam. Well, guess what? That's happened. I've developed a program that's really focused on visual learning, and this program consists of 17 video lectures that cover all four domains and every topic that's relevant to the RD exam. These topics are covered with full explanations, tons of mnemonics, illustrations, animations, tables, and each video lecture also has a pre- and post-test and a super-duper colorful set of corresponding notes. This full program is now available on our website at chompdowndietetics.com. Make sure to check out the program sneak peek video on the website's homepage and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. Okay, we're going to get right into it. Here is our first question. Which of the following would result in your inventory being underestimated in value and you being taxed less? A. FIFO B. LIFO C. PAR stock D. ABC stock So now we're going to be talking about FIFO and LIFO. Because YOLO. (laughs) Does anyone say YOLO anymore? If they don't, I will, okay? So let's start. Now, in my years of teaching at the university, FIFO and LIFO is one of those concepts that students often ask about. And FIFO and LIFO are one of those concepts that are super easy to confuse since they sound so similar. With The most similar thing about them being that FIFO and LIFO totally sound like names for dogs. Right? I can't be the only one that's thought that, right? Like, sit, FIFO, sit. Good boy, LIFO. But aside from that, let's start with the following statement FIFO and LIFO are both used in two of the following concepts inventory management. And inventory valuation we're first gonna focus on inventory management so let's start with FIFO which stands for first in first out what that means with specific regards to inventory management is that the items that you purchased first are the items that you will sell first in other words you are always trying to sell your oldest inventory before trying to sell your newest inventory. You remove your oldest items from inventory first. How? Well, let's say you just got some new inventory. If you're using FIFO method, you're putting that new inventory behind the existing inventory on the shelves. By doing this, customers will see the old inventory in front, and the assumption is that they will pick that inventory up and buy it. Now, of course, there are those of us that reach all the way in the back to get the oldest possible expiration date. However, that doesn't apply in this context or the context of a dietetic exam. We use FIFO for inventory when we're selling perishable goods such as food, which expires after a certain period of time. Now, let's do LIFO. Last in, first out. I actually dislike that last in part, because it could make it sound like last is referring to old inventory. So, I actually prefer saying latest in, first out. What this means with specific regards to inventory is the items that you purchased first are the items that you will sell last. In other words, you are always trying to sell your newest inventory before trying to sell your oldest inventory. Your newest items come out of inventory first. How? Well, let's say you got new inventory. If you're using LIFO method, you're putting that new inventory in front of the existing inventory on the shelves, not behind it as you did in FIFO. By doing this, customers will see the new inventory in front, and the assumption is that they will pick that new inventory up and buy it. Now, you may wonder, when would you even use LIFO, right? Well, if you're selling a homogenous product, like bricks, it really doesn't matter which brick the customer purchases, because bricks don't expire. What do you care if a customer buys an old brick or a new brick? It's a brick. It'll stay a brick no matter what. It doesn't have dreams of becoming a dentist, you know, being called Dr. Brick. Can you imagine if bricks expired? Oh man, we'd be rebuilding every brick building over and over again. Nobody has time for that. Or the bricks in the yellow brick road would just randomly start disappearing. And nobody has time for that either, especially Dorothy. So that's when you would use LIFO. When you're selling products that don't depend on an expiration. Also, bricks, tile, food service equipment... They can be heavy, right? You don't want to have to lift up your inventory each time just to put the new inventory in the back of it. So LIFO is more convenient. Now we covered FIFO and LIFO with regards to inventory management. Now we're going to cover FIFO and LIFO with regards to inventory valuation. The main difference between inventory management and inventory valuation is that in inventory management, you're looking at physical flows of inventory. But in inventory valuation, you're looking at cost flows of inventory. Another thing to keep in mind is that when it comes to inventory valuation, you're assuming that you paid more to purchase the newest inventory than you paid for the older inventory because in the marketplace, prices tend to rise due to inflation. If you pay more for new inventory, then this new inventory is technically more valuable than the older inventory. We'll call this principle the value assumption. Okay, now let's start with FIFO with regards to inventory valuation. Let's say you purchase new inventory and you're using FIFO. In FIFO, you're selling the old inventory, the first in inventory, first. That means that as you start selling that old inventory, it starts decreasing, right? Well, at one point, most or all of that old inventory will be sold. And what will be left is that new inventory you purchased. Now, let's implement the value assumption that the newest inventory is more valuable than older inventory. Most or all we have left is new inventory. So now, let's say we want to report the total value of our inventory. Since mostly or all we have is new inventory... And per the value assumption, new inventory has more value, then when we are reporting the value, it will be very high because it's based on the new inventory that we have. In other words, FIFO ends up classifying your inventory value high, a.k.a. FIFO overestimates the value of your inventory. But the benefit is that the value of your inventory more closely matches market value because it's new. You just purchased it. This is the price that you paid. That's still probably the same in the marketplace. Now let's do LIFO. Let's say you purchase new inventory and you're using LIFO. In LIFO, you're selling the new inventory first. That means that as you start selling that new inventory, it starts decreasing. At one point, most or all of that new inventory will be sold, and all that will be left will be the old inventory. Now, let's implement the value assumption that the newest inventory is more valuable than older inventory. All we have left is the old inventory, so now... Let's say we want to report the total value of it. Since all we have is old inventory, and per the value assumption, new inventory has more value, meaning old inventory has less value, then when we are reporting the value of our inventory, it will be very low, because it's based on the old inventory that we have left. In other words, LIFO ends up classifying our inventory value lower, a.k.a. LIFO underestimates the value of your inventory. Now, you may wonder why would you even use FIFO or LIFO when it comes to accounting? Which one would you use? So, now we're going to talk about FIFO and LIFO with regards to cost of goods sold, net income, and taxes. So, cost of goods sold, aka COGS, is the total cost associated with making or acquiring any product that's sold. And it can include materials, overhead, labor. We're going to focus on materials for now. It's a deductible business expense. And the more illegible items you include in your cost of goods sold calculation, the lower your taxes are going to be. Let's say you have 100 jars of peanut butter in inventory. You bought 50 of these jars for $1 in January. And 50 you bought for $1.05 in February. And let's say you're selling the peanut butter at $3 per jar. When you sell a jar of peanut butter, you're going to have $3 in revenue. If you're using FIFO, you would report a cost of goods sold expense of $1. Because that's the price you paid for those first 50 jars in January. And in FIFO, you assume to sell those items first, the older inventory. Thus, your reported profit on the sale would be $2. Because you're selling it for $3 and your cost of goods sold expense is $1, you minus the $1 from $3, your profit is $2. Okay, now, let's say if you're using LIFO, your cost of goods sold expense would not be one dollar; it would be a dollar and five cents because that's the price you paid for those last fifty jars in February, and in LIFO, you assume to sell these new jars first because in liFO you sell the newest inventory first, right? Thus, your reported profit would be $1.95 because you take the total revenue you're getting from selling a jar, you're charging $3, and you minus the cost of goods sold expense, which is $1.05, and when you minus that, you get a dollar and ninety five cents profit, so you had a profit of two dollars with FIFO and you had a profit of a dollar and ninety five cents with LIFO. then wouldn't you want to always use FIFO because it gave you more profit? Not necessarily, because with a larger profit, you'll have a larger net income, and that will lead to a larger tax bill. With LIFO, it's flipped. Smaller profit, smaller net profit, less taxes. So, if you have to pay more taxes using FIFO, why even use it? Because businesses want to be able to show the largest possible profits on their financial statements, so they can provide these figures to investors, lenders, and others. Now let's get back to the actual question. We can eliminate par stock and ABC stocking because those were just distractor options. We can talk about those two concepts in a later episode. We really just have to determine whether the answer is FIFO or LIFO. Now, we established that since all we have is old inventory in LIFO, because you sell the latest inventory first, per the value assumption, new inventory has more value, meaning old inventory has less value, then when we are reporting the value of our inventory, it will be very low. Because it's based on the old inventory that we have. As a result, inventory is underestimated in LIFO. Okay, so that fulfills the first part of the question. Now we gotta figure out which one is being taxed less. So in LIFO, we establish that there's a smaller profit, which means smaller net profit, and that means less taxes. Okay, so LIFO underestimates the value of the inventory, and it results in less taxes. That accounts for everything that this question is asking for. Therefore, we can go forward and say that LIFO is the correct answer. Okay, make sure the whole question is read, all parts of it. Okay, let's move on to our next question. Which of the following would be the best recommendation for a patient who presents with liver cirrhosis? A low calorie, low protein zinc supplementation, B high calorie, high protein, C low calorie, high protein zinc supplementation, or D high calorie high-protein zinc supplementation. So, a very, very quick summary of cirrhosis would tell us that it is essentially scarring of the liver. Previously, healthy tissues in the liver have now been replaced with scar tissue, and as a result, the flow of blood to the liver is compromised. And when there is compromising of flow of blood, organs lose their functioning. Okay? I'd love to go into the pathophysiology of how cirrhosis happens, but for the purposes of this question and to be respectful to the next topic, we will just keep the summary of cirrhosis as is, and in the future, I can revisit the topic if you guys would like. Okay. Now, there are three components that are referred to in our question. Calories, protein, and zinc. Let's address each of those, and then we'll go back to the question. Okay? So, let's look at calories. When it comes to calories, we're talking about intake. Now, cirrhotic patients have decreased intake for a lot of reasons, such as having a low appetite due to NVD, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Patients can have early satiety and indigestion, and those are also common reasons for low intake. But also, cirrhotic patients may get hepatic encephalopathy, which is essentially a buildup of toxins in the body, such as ammonia. Now, our liver is responsible for turning ammonia into urea, which is much more acceptable and not toxic. However, the liver is compromised, right? Which means it's not being able to turn that ammonia into urea, which means ammonia is building up in the body. With that buildup, patients can get Hepatic encephalopathy, which can cause altered mental status. And with altered mental status, it can be really difficult to get patients to have adequate intake. Thus, for all these reasons plus others, you want to prescribe a high calorie diet. Okay? You would also want to make sure the patient has a high calorie diet because. It prevents muscle wasting. Now, going back to our actual question, we can eliminate answer choices A and C since they both have low calorie as part of the choices. And you would certainly not want to put the patient on a low calorie diet for the reasons I just mentioned. Now that leaves us with B, which is high calorie, high protein, and D high-calorie, high-protein, and zinc supplementation. So, let's talk protein. Protein has actually been controversial in the past with regards to how much protein should be prescribed to cirrhotic patients, either high-protein or low-protein. The general consensus now is that cirrhotic patients should be prescribed a high-protein diet. Why, though? Well, there's a ton of reasons, actually. But I'm just going to cite a few here, okay? We produce a lot of different types of proteins in the liver, like clotting factors and carrier proteins, transport proteins, and albumin. But in cirrhosis, the liver's functional capacity is compromised, so our ability to produce these proteins is also compromised and that will lead to a deficit of proteins in the body. We want to make up that deficit. Also, when we don't have enough protein, we lose lean body mass, and we're more susceptible to sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle mass. Protein malnutrition also increases whenever energy intake is insufficient, and as we established, Insufficient energy intake is common among cirrhotic patients. All of these reasons are why we would want a high-protein diet, not a low-protein diet. Now, let's look at the answer choices again. B, high-calorie, high-protein, and D, high-calorie, high-protein, and zinc supplementation. So, they both have high protein, so we're good there. But we still have two answers to choose from. So now we got to determine whether we need zinc or not. So let's talk zinc. Why would we need zinc supplementation in cirrhosis? The immediate reason that comes to mind is the fact that zinc is associated with improved healing, improved immune function, insulin action, but cirrhotic patients often get ascites, which is fluid buildup in the peritoneal cavity. And what's usually prescribed for ascites? Diuretics. Diuretics therapy can actually increase the loss of zinc in the urine because it suppresses the reabsorption of zinc through the renal tubules. Zinc is... Also, very involved with metabolizing ammonia and turning it into urea. And when we don't have enough zinc, this decreases something called ornithine transcarbamylase, which is an enzyme in the urea cycle, meaning we have elevated levels of ammonia. As we established, ammonia can be considered a toxin, and if ammonia builds in the body, then that can lead to hepatic encephalopathy. Considering all these reasons, zinc supplementation is definitely beneficial in cirrhosis. Now, let's get back to our answer choices. B, high-calorie, high-protein, and D, high-calorie, high-protein, and zinc supplementation. Technically, both are correct answers, but... The question is not asking which is the correct recommendation for a patient who presents with liver cirrhosis. The question is asking which is the best recommendation for a patient who presents with liver cirrhosis. This word best is crucial when it comes to question analysis and it can be tricky because Oftentimes, questions that ask for the best choice will have multiple correct answers. And that's the case with our sample question here. Now, in a scenario like this, you have to put on your clinician hat. The best choice is the choice that accounts for the most factors. Choice B accounts for calories and protein, but choice D accounts for calories, protein, and zinc, making it the best answer. Okay, let's move on to our next question. An employee was recently promoted from being a food service coordinator to a food service director. Which of the following skills would be most important for her to utilize? A. Technical skills, B, human skills, C, conceptual skills, D, all answers listed. So this question is based on a theory by Robert Katz, and he proposed that there are three skills important in management, technical, human, conceptual. All managers use all of these skills, and they're all important. However, certain skills will be more important depending on where a manager is on the management ladder, okay? Starting with technical skills, they refer to our ability to complete very specific activities. They're directly observable skills. For example... Being able to operate a tilting skillet is a technical skill. Starting with technical skills, they refer to our ability to complete a very specific activity. It's a directly observable skill. For example, being able to operate a tilting skillet is a technical skill. So is being able to write a PES statement. Usually, when we get on-the-job training, it's technical skills that we're being taught. Technical skills are more important at lower levels of management. And as a person climbs the corporate ladder and gets promoted, their need for technical skills decrease. Now let's move on to human skills. So, human skills refer to our ability to work with people to work as a group and build cooperation and motivation. Managers with great human skills can empathize with their employees, understand them, and gain their trust. A manager with little or no people skills can really end up alienating their employees and eventually adopt a authoritarian leadership style. So this skill is important in all levels of management, but absolutely vital at lower levels because lower level management is more involved with the day to day tasks. And in order to accomplish those day to day tasks, you'll need cooperation from your employees much more frequently than a top level manager who would just generally delegate responsibility to accomplish the day to day tasks a lower-level manager would be actively involved. Finally, we have conceptual skills. And conceptual skills refer to our ability to plan, to conceptualize the organization as a whole, to make decisions, see the big picture. When we come up with solutions, we use our conceptual skills And these skills are most important at top levels of management, like if you're a food service director. Another way to frame these skills is technical skills involve working with things. Human skills involve working with people. And conceptual skills involve working with ideas and you can remember them by thinking of the acronym PIT, with P standing for people, I standing for ideas, and T standing for things. And you can consider the following scenario. Imagine three people fall into a pit at the same time. You look around the pit, and there are some scattered pieces of a ladder and materials to put it together. Why is it like this? Who knows? (laughs) But person A decides they're going to be the leader and gets himself and the two other people out of the pit. That's what they want to do. So first, person A has to talk to the other two. Comfort them about the situation and motivate them to work together. This represents the P in PIT because you're working with people, a.k.a. people skills. Now, they need to come up with a plan to get out. They're gonna put the pieces of the ladder together. This represents the I for idea, a.k.a. conceptual skills. Once they have the idea, they need to figure out how to physically put the ladder together with the materials. This stands for T, thing, because you're working with a thing, which is the ladder, and aka you are using technical skills. Okay, so that's just a small, very random analogy that you could use to help Remember the references that the skills are making and just remember how to go about them. Okay. So now let's get back to our question An employee was recently promoted from being a food service supervisor to a food service director. Which of the following skills would be most important for her to utilize? Now, one of the main things you want to do in an assessment situation involving a skills question like this is to look at the job titles because they will dictate what levels of management you're dealing with and the path you need to follow for skill distribution. In the question, we have a food service coordinator and food service director. Now, coordinators are usually involved in the day-to-day operations, so they would be considered lower-level management. Directors are usually considered top-level management. So, we've established what levels of management we're dealing with, and now we can establish the path we need to follow for skill distribution. We're going from low-level management to top-level management. So, technical skills are most important for low-level managers, whereas conceptual skills are most important for top-level managers. Since the employee is now a food service director, which is a top-level manager, conceptual skills would be most important for her to utilize. Now, If the question was which of the following skills are important for her to utilize, the answer would be all choices listed because all of these skills are considered important according to the theory. However, our question asked for most important. That most makes all the difference. And being a director means conceptual skills. Are most important. So look out for words like best and most because they can really change the complexion of the question. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to check us out on chompdowndietetics.com where we have our program that covers all relevant topics on the RD exam with video lectures and colorful notes. You can also hit us up on our socials, which are listed in the episode descriptions and this is where you can request topics and just let us know how you're doing with your exam journeys. With that being said, I will catch you later. Bye-bye.